Welcome, 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 welcome to week number nine in the National Football League. This is the Total Coverage Podcast. I'm Kirk Morrison, your former NFL linebacker, current host over on SiriusXM, uh, ESPN College Football as well. But look, it is all about week number nine. Oh, man, what an outstanding week. And I can't wait to talk about some of the performances, especially uh, Christian McCaffrey coming back. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, as well as mm, there's a team out in the NFC South. No one's talking about, but I bet they're talking about them now. They got an outstanding defense. We'll get into that a little bit later, um, as well as just some of the performances I really believe that just stuck out this week in the National Football League. So I'm excited to get this thing started. But my guest today, my guest, oh, man, Jake DeLone, Super Bowl 38 starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He is going to join us. We'll talk some Carolina Panthers football, but most importantly, I want to get some stories about Super Bowl 38. That's right. His Panthers taking on the Patriots in the beginning of the Patriots dynasty. But um, I will get a chance to talk to him in just a minute. But make sure you remember Total Coverage Podcast. You can get it wherever you find your podcast. Apple Podcasts, a SiriusXM app, On Demand. all of, Wherever you go find a podcast, type in Total Coverage and that's where you'll see me. So make sure you rate, you subscribe, and uh, give me a listen. And also, don't forget, at Kirk Morrison on Twitter, at Kirk Morrison on Instagram. We get all of that. Make sure you bring those questions, bring those thoughts, bring anything. Whatever I miss, you miss, you just let me know. All right, here we go. It's time. Bring them on in. That's right. Jake DeLong. Jake, thank you for coming on, man. I can't wait to hear your insight. Um, how, how, first of all, how have you been? How are things going before we jump into some football? Everything's well. Uh, thanks for asking. Everybody's healthy. I have two daughters. I have a senior in high school and an eighth grader. Um, things are rolling along. Uh, knock on wood. The sports, they're able to play sports. School hasn't. <laughs> We haven't really had any setbacks, so hopefully we can keep it going that way. But it's good. Thanks for having me. I uh, I usually um, I prefer talking to linebackers in this <laughs> setting right. to where they're not across the line of scrimmage. I know there's something in front that I don't have to get hit by them. So, uh, no, thanks for having me. No, I yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. I know you're still tied in you know, with the Carolina Panthers, that organization. And obviously this has been a transition year uh, going from obviously Ron Rivera and then bringing in Matt Rule. And then you think about, okay, how is this college coach? How is he going to be able to bring his philosophy? Will the guys buy in? And in just, a, you know, I would say the first half of the season, how has it been so far? I'll be honest with you. I, um, it's not only a college coach when you look at the whole the grand scheme so Matt Rule he had a little taste of the NFL with the New York Giants and Tom Coughlin as an assistant but then from Temple to Baylor and then he comes to Carolina brings the majority of his a lot of his staff with him uh defensive coordinator Phil Snow longtime college defensive coordinator you know Mm -hmm. a veteran Joe Brady a one-time offensive coordinator at LSU So, you know, you have an old school, I don't want to say old school, but a veteran coach on the defensive side, a young, hot, fresh name on the offensive side, but everything's coming from college. And I'm like everyone else. I I truly believe that not having, we can talk about it all we want, not having a spring, OTAs, a true training camp setting. I said, it's going to be difficult for this team early on. And because I'm not so sure what the talent was at Carolina, the whole roster in general. I don't think this was a Super Bowl roster to begin with. And and, and that's just being honest. And listen, they're three and six. 
I don't want to say they're exceeding my expectations, but the way this team is playing, I'm watching guys, I'm not going to name names, play last year that, man, I just didn't see much future or promise for them. And I'm watching them this year, and I'm like, wait a minute. This 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 guy didn't play this way last year. He didn't play with his pants on fire like he's playing right now. He didn't <laughs> right. play with this technique. He didn't play this violent. And I think you're starting to see that. But what they're doing, he's changing the culture in Carolina. And not that not to say it was a bad culture. Ron Rivera was fantastic. But when you look at the whole Panthers, Greg Olson, gone. Right. Luke Keekley, gone. gone. Cam Newton, gone. You want to talk about three alpha males that controlled that locker room. Um, and so it's, it's starting new, uh, new quarterback, but they've come in and they've been in every single football game. They really and truly have, it's never been a game where they, they weren't in it. This team is even down to last week in Kansas city. I understand it was a long kick to try to win the game, but they're in it on every drive. So they're close now, moral victories, you know, there's no such thing as a moral victory. You got to win one. You got to win one at some point but you're seeing this team progress week in and week out and you're seeing young guys develop because there's still a few players away. We'll get to Christian McCaffrey in a minute because obviously he's the MVP of the squad, but I want to start first with Teddy Bridgewater. And that was the key offseason signing for the Carolina Panthers. We know his history, right? He was a starter in Minnesota and we know what happened in Minnesota. The horrible injury had to work his way back, spent the year last year in new Orleans played some games and actually did well in, in, uh, in for Drew Brees, who got banged up. But just from what you've seen from Teddy Bridgewater, right now he's currently fifth in the NFL in passing yards. Mm-hmm. But what have you seen from him that he's kind of the future of Carolina Panthers football? Well, like you say, and Kurt, I'm going to be honest. I, what, did I think he was going to come in and maybe be that guy for five, six, seven, eight, nine years? Right. In my mind, no. I really didn't think that. He's kind of exceeded my expectations, to be quite honest. But he's come in and taken an approach, an ownership approach, so to speak. He had a um, he worked with Joe Brady two years ago with the Saints, so there was a connection there. But he's come in and, and he is the leader of that football team. We all know I'm talking as, as an offense. You know, the quarterback's always the facilitator. Christian is the stud. We get it. But this team has followed Teddy and watching him play. He's it's it's like a different mindset than when he had in Minnesota. Um, He had a cup of coffee with the Jets and then with New Orleans because this is his team and they've given him the keys and he's embracing that. And the team is following him, watching him run around with the football. Even last week, a fourth and 14 play, he's making plays with his feet, um, being very accurate with the football. Turnovers have really not been a huge issue. Um, but this guy has just kind of taken over and he's, he's kind of run with the chance and this team has bought into him. The coaching staff has bought into him and he's just playing with the confidence and it's resonating with this young football team, which I think you need, you need to have some type of the young guys that, okay, this is how I'm supposed to act. I'm supposed to treat the media this way. Uh, I'm supposed to take ownership when I don't play well. Um, the work ethic, taking care of the body. And when you have guys like a Teddy leading the way, these young kids, is going to kind of speed up um, their growth in the, in the National Football League because it's so difficult. I think it's a big, now I won't call it a big 180, but it's much different than when Cam was there, right? Cam uh, wore his emotions on his sleeve a lot. And I think with Teddy, it's a little bit different, right? He's genuine, understands his opportunity. But I think when you look at just Carolina Panthers football of recent, 
you can't help but look at one of the highest paid. I think he's still the highest paid running back in the NFL in Christian McCaffrey. And we had a short sample size, Jake, of in the beginning of the season, we had Christian. And then there was that gap, that window where he had the high ankle sprain where we didn't see him. And then all of a sudden he comes back against Kansas City and then we're reminded of how good of a player he is and what he means to Teddy Bridgewater, this offense, and the Carolina Panthers organization. Just from what does Christian do week in and week out that not only helps the offense, but helps a quarterback be able to make decisions when the blitz are coming or just in general throughout the game? Okay, so Christian, ever since he he arrived in Carolina, his, his work ethic was maniacal. The way he took care of his body, was maniacal, the way his diet, everything he did. And all these veterans, they see a young kid that came in and is like, wait a minute, he's on another level, the way he takes care of himself and prepares. And he never thought of himself as better than anyone else. And he just kind of came in, he fit right in. And that team revered him and they still do. But just the, so many things that he can do on the football field. I, I've said this, I saw him last year in training camp, whenever there was a training camp, the Buffalo Bills came down to scrimmage against the Panthers for two days before their preseason game. And I watched him line up at receiver on a bunch of plays. And I saw Tredavious White, who I think is one of the top corners in the NFL, guard him a couple of times. And I told one of my buddies, I said, this guy could start a wide receiver in the NFL and he would be a dominant force. Christian was that good. And I'm not talking his running ability, but uh, out the backfield, I'm talking about lining up as a true flanker or a split in. And then watching him block, even last week, he did many things good in this game. But they came with pressure at one point during the game against Kansas City. And he stoned this linebacker and drove him across the ball. And Teddy knew he had a free runner and Christian was gone. And when you have somebody coming and you know you have a running back, as a quarterback, you know, hey, that's in essence, he's going to get in his way. That's not his job to dominate this guy. Christian dominated him, got him across the ball, was able to get a big first down. Uh, Teddy be able to step up. And so he does the little things um, well. And I truly believe in that game last week, the Panthers won the coin toss. They took the ball. You never see a team do that. Everybody's going to defer to the second half. And we took the ball in Arrowhead Stadium. And I truly believe it because Christian McCaffrey's back. Mike Davis kind of showed everybody what he could do and given an opportunity with Christian gone. So we're coming back and we're going after this team. And it was a nine-minute drive, get a touchdown. And the best defense in the world is Patrick Mahomes sitting on the bench. And Patrick had to sit for you <laughs> right. know nine, ten minutes in the first quarter. And that's why the Panthers, in, in essence, tried to give themselves a chance in this football game um, because the roster-wise, Kansas City's better right now. But um, Christian does so many things, just catching the ball at the backfield, running in between the tackles, running outside, pass protection. He, he's, um, he's, he's truly a special football player. You know, Jake, one of the things from watching last week's game that kind of gets me is that people don't understand how good of a runner he is between the tackles. I mean, we think of Christian McCaffrey as, hey, throw him a sweep, throw him a screen, oh, run an right. uh, option route, uh, line up at slot. But to watch him run the football in between the tackles, I think that's an underrated part of his game. You know, and that's the thing. He's he's a lot thicker than I think people give him credit for. You right. might think of him always the slight. He's not slight at all. He's very well put together. Uh, he carries good, you know, good weight. But his feet, 
they never seem to be out of place. He's always underneath himself, his center of gravity. He's always there. And when he sees a hole, he makes a cut, but he's always going forward. You never see him get hit and go backward. It's a glancing blow, but it's constantly just moving the pile forward and going forward. Um, He's, he's a special player. There's so many superlatives you can say about him and, and really and truly, um, every single one that you bring up. I mean, he is that elite running back in the NFL. I think right now with Dalvin Cook and with Alvin Kamara, uh, and then you have Christian, you have three young studs in the NFL, and and they all, they kind of fit that mold. They're not this big, huge, yeah, Derrick Henry, he's different. different. Yeah, he's different. I mean, he, he's he, different. He's, yeah, that's a different category, Jake. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> he is, he's, he's like Cam Newton at quarterback. Right. Really and truly. Mm-hmm. Cam was just different. You couldn't, right. you can't be Cam because of his size. Right. But those three guys, the way they can kind of catch the screens, hit it inside, hit it outside, and then break away. Um, it's fun to watch those three guys. You know, what, what goes into that, though? You mentioned it, uh, the screen game. Why is it so effective for Christian, the screen game? Well, I think he does a great job. Screen game, it's all tied in. Quarterback's footwork, eyeballing the linebacker when you're dropping back. Just to, You want to eyeball him to like you're looking down the field. The, the sets of the offensive lineman, you can't give it away because a smart linebacker, like when you played, you could read that real quick. Read a quick set by a tackle and they don't throw or guard. Uh, and the running back setting it up, finding – it's easy to say, oh, let's run a screen. Right. There's small windows. You have to know when to maneuver, come inside of a guard or outside of a guard, get to your spot. And then once you get your spot, you give that go call to the lineman and run the sidewalk. You try to run down those numbers, and mm-hmm. your lineman, they've got to throw. Throw and get out the way. You know, take off running – throw at a defensive guy, try to get him down, but just kind of get out of the way and clear the path for these these running backs because they're so dynamic with the ball in their hands. Well, I got a couple more before I let you go, Jake. Um, I'm seeing some two-back sets, though, with the Panthers, right, where they're putting Christian McCaffrey on one side and then kind of like a joker player in Curtis Samuel who's been, you know, they, they put him at wide receiver, then they're, they're putting him in the backfield. It's like, right. okay, I, I don't understand. what I, Is this something that we'll see more of? Because I think it's starting to be effective because as a defensive player, Jake, I'm still trying to figure out what do I call that personnel? Is it 20, two backs, three receivers? Is it two backs, two tight? I mean, I don't – I don't know what are we clarifying Samuel, and I think that's what's uh, what's probably been effective for them as well. Very much so. And, you know, it's the same thing with a three-down look uh, on defense. And, okay, who's the rush guy? Who's the linebacker? Is he a better rush guy or cover guy? And we need to declare through that week. It's the same thing as offense looking at a defense. Um, you know, do I want to declare him a big this week on third-down situations? Well, with Curtis – we can go back to the, the the first Atlanta game in Atlanta. Teddy's in an empty set. He recognizes the box. It's a, it's a run look. He needs to run it. He calls Curtis from outside, brings him back to the backfield, and they run an inside. It wasn't a trap, but just an inside lead, and it's a third down play for a big game. And so you have really, really and truly, you could kind of take Christian, move him out, bring Curtis in as a running back, and that's going to make the defense maybe – go to a safety check, whatever it may be. And now with Mike Davis, there was a couple of times last week you put Mike Davis and Christian in the backfield together. And so now you don't know which way we can go in that regard. So Joe Brady, I think, is a – I don't think he's a name nobody knows because of what happened at last year. People know him, but it's – what he's doing, it's not stagnant. I mean, it's something new each and every week. And Curtis Samuel is that guy that this coaching staff has come in and – they didn't label him a wide receiver. They labeled him a football player. 
Yeah, you can play wide out. You can play slot. We're going to put you in the backfield. And he's just kind of a jack of all trades. And so to get Christian back uh, with Curtis, and then hopefully we can see some of these things progress as the year goes on, try to knock out a couple of more wins. Uh, but I just think in time, as it's coming, I don't want to look ahead to 2021, but add some more pieces to this puzzle. This can be a dangerous football team. Jake, man, last question. I, I, I can't have you on total coverage and not get – a Super Bowl 38 story. Just the, what do you remember most about that game? Because that was the sort of the, the, the start of the Patriots dynasty, right? They had won right. the year before or prior, but that was the first back-to-back, I believe, in a long time. So uh, just give me your, 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 your memory of that game and, and just how fun it was because you guys had a lead late in the game and all yeah. of a sudden Vinatieri, man. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Brady and Vinatieri, huh? Yeah. Terrible. Uh, but, uh, you know, like leading into that game, Dan Henning, longtime NFL offensive coordinator, had many successes, a few Super Bowl rings with his time with the Redskins and Joe Gibbs. But Dan was prophetic just leading up to that week. The Patriots at that time, yes, Tom had won a Super Bowl, but they was they were not this offensive juggernaut. They were led by a defense from Rodney Harrison to Ty Law. So they had Poole, then you had Vrabel. Um, Ted Washington, Ted, Richard yeah. Seymour, Anthony Plessa. <laughs> I mean, Teddy Bruschi. Yeah. They were they were humongous. I remember lining up for the first play of the game saying to myself, oh, my gosh, these guys yeah. are <laughs> large men. But I, I, was a, I, was a rookie. I was a rookie with Ted Washington, Jake. So I oh, know that uh, our yes. defensive coordinator at the time called Ted a building with feet. That's how big of a person he was. So uh, uh, yeah. a building with nimble feet. You know, nimble but, feet. <laughs> but Dan Dan told us all week, guys, listen, first quarter, it's gonna be like running into a brick wall. We're gonna struggle. We're gonna struggle running the football because John Fox, we wanted to body blow you. We wanted to run the football and take big, big shots in the passing game with Musin Muhammad and of course Steve uh, Steve Smith. And the first quarter, nothing was happening. We couldn't do we couldn't throw it. I couldn't throw it. Um, we couldn't run it on them. And then middle of the second quarter, somewhat a taste of success. And Dan was about, we're going to tire them out and we're going to make big plays. When our time comes, we'll, we'll get big plays in a hurry. And sure enough, we were able to get uh, some points before half, a touchdown, then a field goal. Then you have a long halftime in the NFL for the Super Bowl. It's not like regular season, an extended halftime. So sure enough, third quarter, beating our head against the wall. And then the fourth quarter, that's kind of we made our name as the cardiac cast that year. Just kind of spread them out, opened them up, and uh, running, throwing. And the four touchdowns that we scored in that game, three touchdown passes and one run. I kid you not, those were the top four plays we put in at the opening mini camp of that year. It was one of the basic plays that we ran all season long from 56 Hunt Street Circle to 82 Colt Why Not to Quick 31 Trap to 72 Reno. I mean, we just, we, you know, so many times you hear, oh, it's a good scheme and this and that. But when you perform, if you perfect certain plays, don't think of plays, think of players. And our players, we just perfected these plays and we were interchangeable uh, at position-wise, the receivers. And we ran those plays over and over again all season long and we were very good at it and it carried over in the Super Bowl. And that was a great lesson, I know, for me in thinking it's not all the time about how thick your playbook is. It's about executing what you're told to do. You know, because everybody, you know, you draw it up. The defense has the perfect defense. Offense has the perfect play. But when you just out-execute somebody, that wins games. And we're able to out-execute them uh, for a good bit. But 
at number 12 on the other side. He uh, he was able to make a little drive and Vinatieri with ice water in his veins nailed it. Yeah, man. One of the more memorable Super Bowls. But, man, thanks for taking me down memory lane, though, Jake. And, and, and pre appreciate the information talking about Carolina Panthers and Christian McCaffrey. Always watched your game as well. One of the good quarterbacks that we've seen in the NFL history. And, again, man, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Hey, everybody, this is Fran Frischella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. Each week, we chat with the players, coaches, and executives who have helped grow the game of basketball around the world, like Toronto Raptors championship-winning coach Nick Nurse. I, I always say this. I, I, I don't know why I picked this number, Fran, but I always say the X and O stuff's about 15% of the job. It really yeah. is. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. So many times we talk about wide receiver play here on total coverage. And sometimes we always talk about one particular guy. And sometimes he has a, a, a big monster day, right? 13 catches, 10 catches, 100, 200 plus yards. But there are a couple guys this weekend. Actually, uh, I, they was sort of a team effort, right? It was two guys, right? Tag team partners. And they didn't have a ton of catches at all, right? It was just a situation in which I just watched them play. And look, they're not getting the, kind of a lot of the credit I think that uh, they probably do. And they are, that is due to them. But let's be honest, no one's watching a lot of the Houston Texans and probably nobody watched the Houston Texans Jacksonville Jaguar game, right? It was a two and 16 versus a one and 17. Yes, I know it, it hurt, it hurt. But look, there's some good football players still on this team and watching Houston, and what they have offensively. Obviously, we know the quarterback at Deshaun Watson, but Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks combined for eight catches and 183 yards and two touchdowns between the two. And before I even start there, I just kind of want to give you the mindset I think that those two players had. Or tell you how the week went for them. Yes, I know it was a big election going on. Obviously, we all know that. But people forget that Tuesday, November 3rd, was also the deadline for the NFL's trading deadline or NFL trading deadline. Those two guys, I'm trying to tell you for this entire year, probably when the Houston Texans fired their coach and Bill O'Brien and in the coming days after and weeks after, Will Fuller and Brandon Cook's names, throwing Randall Cobb as well, those guys' names were being tossed around in different circles in terms of being traded. And so when people think like, oh man, like what's wrong with these guys? As a guy who's been traded before in this league, being traded is not fun. It is not fun at all, trust me. Because you're with a team and all of a sudden they trade you, you don't even necessarily get a chance to say goodbye. I remember I got traded from the Oakland Raiders back in 2010 and it was in the off season. But when I got traded, I never got a chance to go back. It was basically they packed all my stuff, right? Five years worth of equipment and stuff that was in my locker. They packed it up. They packed it, packaged it up, put it in a box and sent me on my way to Jacksonville. Just like that. I couldn't say goodbye to the trainers and the, the equipment staff and just the people who I had met, you know, and known, grew with for the last five years. 
So I'm thinking of all those emotions that probably are going through Will Fuller and Brandon Cook's minds all the way up until Tuesday, November 3rd at 4 p.m. Eastern. Will I be traded? Will I have to move again? I think for Brandon Cooks, he would have been moving for the fifth time after starting off in New Orleans and then going from New Orleans to where? New England. And then New England to Los Angeles. And then Los Angeles to Houston. And now from Houston to could have been number five. So you don't think that kind of plays a little little bit in the mind of Brandon Cooks and probably his performances before then? Yeah, it weighs on you. It does. Same with Will Fuller, right? He's only been with one team, but he easily could have been in a situation where he's being traded and having to go figure out some things on a new team. So I bring all of that up just because when I watch their performance, their performance showed me that these two dudes, they, first of all, they're committed and they'll be in Houston right now. I don't know what happens with Will Fuller because he'll be a free agent at the end of the year, but to understand that they played hard and it was the combination of these two guys and what they were able to do because I thought the Texans for the first time utilized these guys how they should be utilized. First of all, when you think of Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, the first thing that pops out is speed. They are fast. Two of the fastest dudes in the NFL. So what does that mean? How do you get them the football? I thought the Texans did a great job of that. Where there was screen passes, quick passes. Just get the ball in their hands and allow their speed to take over. Yes, they can run deep routes. That's part of their repertoire. I get it. But as a defender, if I know these dudes are fast, I'm going to play off. When you say play off, that means you're going to play at five, sometimes 10 yards off the line of scrimmage because you respect their speed. But with, with that being said, that meant that Deshaun Watson knew that and he threw underneath a ton in this game, right? He threw underneath a ton because he knew guys were going to play off because they were so scared of the speed of Cooks, so scared of the speed of Will Fuller. And so you saw some screen passes, you saw some quick outs, you saw some check downs. You just saw a different, I think, just foray of what the Houston Texans offense we thought could be all year long. And just when defenses got upset and said, all right, I hate this, all right, I got to be more aggressive. Well, when they became more aggressive, what happened? Deshaun Watson hits Will Fuller for a 77-yard uh, big play, right? Touchdown, all right? So, yeah, that that's the part that – I felt that the Texans should be playing with all year long because they have a quality of, of wide receivers, but you have to utilize them correctly. Both guys just can't always run deep, but I think you can utilize their speed in different ways. Get the ball out of your hands, get it to them quickly. Those things will happen. And I'm telling you, you'd be a so much, so much of a better football team. I think they learn, they built their, their building from this. And I think they'll learn from this, but it was the reason why they won was I really believe was because two guys didn't have to worry about being traded, right? Because it shows about the whys. I talked about it in the open. It's about the whys and hows. Well, sometimes the why may not just be on the field. The why is off the field. And the off the field stuff, trust me, it can control how you play on the field. And good to see that those guys not allow what was going on with the trade deadline not to affect them. They move on, have them outstanding performances, help out their quarterback, and then get their second win of the season. That's how winning is done. I don't think many people thought the matchup between the Seahawks and Buffalo Bills was going to be matchups of MVP hopefuls, right? 
you if you've listened to the Total Coverage podcast, you know my the how much I talk about Russell Wilson and how I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Yes, Patrick Mahomes is the best talent at quarterback, but I still think that Russell Wilson is the best quarterback. Okay. And that being said, he was going up against Josh Allen. And no one gave Josh Allen any luck. I mean, it was like, oh, wow, well, Josh Allen, no way. Get out of here. Against that, against the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, no way. But that is why they play the game, everybody. That's what I love about the NFL. Because Josh Allen, yes, he's listened to the critics. They didn't have a good, you know, outcome over the last, you know, previous couple weeks. They didn't play well against, you know, the, the Tennessee Titans. And everybody's just down on Buffalo. They didn't play well against Kansas City. So let's just say, oh, man, we're, we're done on Buffalo. But I'm saying it's the NFL. They lost to two really, really good football teams. The Texans, I mean, the, the Titans, we know, played in the AFC Championship. And they lost to the team who played against the Titans in the championship who actually won the Super Bowl in Kansas City. So why should I be down on Buffalo? They lost two games. <laughs> to the two teams that were playing in the conference championship. And I'm supposed to be down on them. It's just funny because I look and I say, all right, because many people didn't give Buffalo a chance. And yet they went out and the score says 44-34 Buffalo. But if you watch the game like I did and rewatched it back, I don't know if it was really that close. Now, Russell Wilson made some magic happen at the end, which is typical Russell Wilson. But it was Buffalo that dominated the Seattle Seahawks offensively and defensively. Let's be honest, because Josh Allen's big day, if I told you after the game, which quarterback threw for a 30, we went 31 of 38 passing, 415 yards, three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Easily, you would have all said Russell Wilson. Heck, I raised my hand and said, I would have thought it would have been Russell Wilson too. But Josh Allen, they had a game plan. Brian Dable, who's the offensive coordinator for Buffalo, had a great game plan against Pete Carroll and Ken Norton's defense. Their game plan, it wasn't to run the ball. Buffalo ran the ball for 34 yards the entire game. (laughs) 34 yards the entire game. This game was all about Josh Allen. This game was on the shoulders of Josh Allen. And probably his best game that I've seen Josh Allen play in his short NFL career. He only missed seven passes, let's be real. And he took shots down the field, but then he also was very accurate. He didn't have some of the Josh Allen mistakes that we see from time to time. And when I say Josh Allen mistakes, it's where he tries to do too much doesn't know when the journey's over, how to get to the next down. But I feel like what clicked for Buffalo was that why not line up and empty sometime? I mean, just put everybody as an eligible receiver, put them out on a route. And it forced Seattle to have to spread out their defense, pick and choose when they blitz. But when they blitz, you got to think Josh Allen, instead of running to for first downs or trying to get yardage, he extended plays and forced Seattle to have to cover for the entire down, not just for a couple seconds, but from whistle to whistle. And he made the decisions that, you know what? I don't have to take a lot of chances. Just complete the passes. Just put it in our playmakers' hands. 
make four or five outstanding throws and make three or four first downs for us, Josh. He did that. And he did that and he did and some. So I'm seeing a quarterback that is still growing. Yes, he's going to have ups and downs. That's just what quarterbacks do, right? They, you can't be perfect every single game. Defenses have game plans. But I'll tell you what I saw from Josh Allen was a guy who not only threw with great accuracy, which was something that people knocked on him coming into the NFL, but I just thought that he minimized some of his negatives and turned them into positives. And he did it without a, a, a marginal run game, if that, right? 34 yards, like I gotta go back to that, like 34 yards and you're like, wow, he threw for 415. 415. So a, a lot of it was, I thought that they threw some screen passes. They threw some things to the outside. They threw a lot of check downs, things over the ball for him. That to me, sometimes a check down or a screen pass or a short pass is almost just like a run play. It's just a little bit different. So I loved everything about what Josh Allen was able to do. And then the bigger part is that I thought his wide receivers, I mean, look, Stefan Diggs is, is just a dude, right? We know he's a guy. He's one of the big time performers. Nine catches, 118. We know that. But it's funny. I was talking to one of my buddies who's a Seahawks fan before this game. And he asked me, hey, give me your assessment on, you know, the Buffalo Bills offense. I said, can Josh Allen take care of the ball, right? Can they run the ball as well? But then also, can they get some production on the opposite side of Stephon Diggs? If they're able to do that, they can win games. And they got that production. Why they get that production? Because they had a quarterback who spread the football around and just got the ball into the playmaker's hands, right? John Brown also had a big day, 99 yards. You think about Cole Beasley had a couple of catches. They spread the football around. They just got the ball out quickly and allow these guys to do what? Just make things happen. But then also, too, sometimes forcing the defense to, to have to cover everybody. And when you don't have a pass rush like Seattle who's trying to find it, right? They went out and traded for Carlos Dunlap last week. Okay, the former defensive end of the Cincinnati Bengals. That If, if that doesn't work, okay, if they're not getting continuous pressure every single play, and allowing Josh Allen to stand up in the pocket, he's going to find the open guy. So, yeah, you can take away Stephon Diggs for a play. John Brown may be covered. But what about Beasley, right? What about Gabriel Davis, who had four catches for 70 yards? They're, they're, they've got some weapons, and a lot of goes on that offensive line. And that's the reason why Buffalo was able to go out. I guess you can call it an upset because no one really had them beating Seattle but they went out and did it on the shoulders of Josh Allen. This is how I went. Sunday night football, we knew we were in for a treat. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, two guys who are going back and forth on career touchdown passes in NFL history. We're watching a record continue to grow week in and week out with two guys who refused to retire, age 43, age 41. But man, this was like the old pitchers that you see in baseball going at it head to head. And I was so excited for the matchup to see these two Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterbacks go against each other. But yet, very quickly, we knew that this game was just not the game that we were expecting. The final score, New Orleans 38, Buccaneers 3. And... I never, I don't think a lot of people saw it that way. We knew it would probably be a close game because New Orleans had already played them 
uh, played the Buccaneers and, and Saints had already played against each other in week one. So we knew it was going to be a close game. But for some reason, everybody was kind of off the Saints for a while. And all of a sudden, it was, remember, it was the arm of Drew Brees and how, you know, he looked old and he... Did Drew Brees look old? <laughs> no, he didn't. And they won, I think, for two big particular reasons. Number one is their defense. You know, the second time this season that Brady has struggled against the New Orleans Saints. Week one, we saw him you know, get picked off a couple times. We saw him struggle. We saw the, the defensive line just get after it. And you start to think, hmm, was this just a one-off? Or is there something to this Saints defense going against the Buccaneers? And so you kind of scratched your head a little bit, but we saw the same thing in week one. We saw it again in week nine, <laughs> okay? Week nine of the NFL season, we saw the same exact thing. The Saints defense continues to pressure. They blitz. They bring four-man rush. This offensive line for Tampa Bay, which some had said improved over the last couple of weeks, they haven't improved against the Saints. And the Saints continue to, I, I think, be the team right now. Currently, if, and I know people hate this, but if the playoffs were to start today, I know people hate hearing that. I know. I hate hearing it too. But the New Orleans Saints will get the number one seed in the NFC. That means that the road to Super Bowl 55 in Tampa would have to go through New Orleans. That's just showing you how good this New Orleans team can be. And we've seen them over the last, was it four or five weeks, maybe longer? Was it five, six weeks? We've seen them without Michael Thomas. They've missed some Emmanuel Sanders. So as much as I'm going to give a ton of credit, because that's where the credit is due to that defense, right? The guys up front, just watching them play. Yeah, giving a ton of credit to those guys. But I think also, too, I got to throw a lot of the credit, too, to the offense. Bringing, I mean, having guys back now. Michael Thomas being himself again. He had five catches, 51 yards. I mean, you have Harris. Uh, Emmanuel, excuse me, Emmanuel Sanders had a big day. We've seen Jared Cook, Taysom Hill, the other Hill, Josh Hill. You had Kamara, Murray. I mean, literally, Drew Brees, yeah, oh, he's washed up, but yet he completed balls to let's hear, let's count it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve different Saints caught a pass on Sunday night. <laughs> if this defense will continue to play like they played on Sunday night against the Buccaneers, Drew Brees doesn't have to do a lot. He just has to do enough. Okay. And enough is what he did. You know, 26 to 32, 222, four touchdowns. But to be able to keep complete passes to 12 different guys, come on, man. That's unheard of in the NFL. That's unheard of. But it's also a recipe for victory. That's how you beat a team 38-3. It's great defense, but you also have a quarterback that understands what he has in front of him. Because as much as we talked about all of this, you still have Alvin Kamara, who is still playing at an unbelievable clip this year. And now watching this of how good this Saints team can be, I'm thinking, I'm not just trying to crown them, right? We're halfway through the season, everybody. I'm not crowning them as champions or nothing like that. 
But I thought that Sunday night more had more to do with the Saints than the Buccaneers. The Saints tell everybody, hey, before you start to crown Tom and those guys, don't don't forget about us. Don't forget about us. And I thought that was a, a pretty fun thing to watch with those with his squad, the Saints and everything they have going on. Again, man, special thanks to our guest, Jake DeLong, Super Bowl 38, starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Again, man, so much fun here in week number nine. I can't wait to start, start next week. Get rid of all these bye weeks. Bye weeks are almost over. Now we can just look at the schedule. We know how many games we got left. We can start looking at playoff pictures, but it's all downhill from now. So another exciting episode of the Total Coverage Podcast. Remember, you can find it at Total Coverage Podcast, wherever you find your podcast, Apple, SiriusXM On Demand, wherever you find them, man, just go ahead, rate, subscribe. I love what you're doing. Appreciate you all taking this ride for me. And like I said, again, next week, we'll be right here doing it all over again. From myself, Kirk Morrison, good to talk to you all. Good football, y'all.